ஒரு 93% of event marketers plan to invest in virtual events moving forward. Wild Apricot mentions the biggest challenge of virtual events is that there are too many events and participants are sick of online calls. Marketlitic highlights 90% of virtual event organizers use surveys to measure attendee satisfaction. And finally, 41% of organizers use Zoom for their small virtual events. while 29% of them prefer using microsoft teams and now on to speaking to our guest today all about online events right after this intro this is the deliberate talks weekly podcast powered by the pixelated egg digital ventures tune in every week to learn something new about digital marketing and entrepreneurship And now, over to the voice of your host, Dukshin Adiantaya. Enjoy the show. So today, we have someone who has spent 15 years of her life planning live and virtual events, conferences, workshops, retreats and masterminds for her various clients across the world. Her extensive experience as a planner as well as an attendee provides her with the necessary understanding to translate her client's purpose vision and outcomes into reality today she is the founder and ceo of be bright events and offers assistance to corporates as a coach here's introducing wendy freeman hello wendy welcome to the deliberate talks podcast it's great to have you on the show today thank you i'm excited to be here likewise Wendy let's start with the obvious understanding of how massively the event industry has been affected by covid-19 you know even the most celebrated sporting event like the olympics and the world cup were forced to push their dates could you highlight the repercussions of a business like yours and how it was driven due to lockdown in form of a real case study or statistics yeah absolutely so when when the world first shut down i obviously focusing predominantly on in person events my entire business revenue model was changed i was literally in a place where i could not put on events that we had planned and very quickly had to transition and pivot to helping my clients still continue to get their message out but in the virtual digital format so there was definitely a couple of months there when you talk about in the terms of you know numbers and statistics there was a couple of a couple of months there where it was definitely slower for business i think as as most people experienced you know just the whole figuring out how to navigate this new situation that we're living in and having to very reactively make changes that we weren't necessarily intending to do mm-hmm. however after you know doing that i have actually been able to grow my business significantly in the past couple of months because there is such a significant need for people to be getting their message out in the virtual space and humans are craving connection and experience and virtually is really you know one of the only ways that we're able to do that so 
I've really put a large emphasis on not just hosting and helping my clients plan these virtual events, but making sure that, that these events are two-sided, that they're engaging, that it's not just one person behind the computer screen talking, educating, and conveying their message, but that it really is creating conversations, creating connections, and trying to replicate as much of that in-person experience virtually as possible. Right. And you know, I'm keen on knowing about your business transformation. A lot of businesses struggle to adapt to a newer format. And because of the anonymity of the timelines, it had to be done quickly rather than wait for things to get better. How did you swiftly convert your business model into an adaptive one with virtual events? That's a great question. And you know, when the lockdown first happened, there was definitely a a brief period of panic and uncertainty and, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to stay in business when my entire business model is based on being around other people and, and hosting events, which have now been completely just stripped away from us. But at the same time, you know, I got into business because for me, it's all about creating the space for my clients to impact lives, to inspire people, to encourage people. And this was a time that more so than ever, people need to be inspired. They need to be encouraged. They need to understand how to shift their mindset, how to overcome challenges and how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So I really used my why and my purpose to pull myself out of that, that hole and realize that like, it is my, my mission to serve, to do this, to help other people be able to in turn help others. Fortunately for me, I came from 15 years in the event space in corporate for a technology company. So the virtual technology side of things was not as much of a pivot for me as it was for a lot of other event planners in the space because I already had the familiarity with different technologies available and I had the experience hosting other virtual events for my corporate employer. The part that I really had to level up was how to set these events apart from all the others out there. Because before, virtual events were not nearly as prevalent. You saw them, they were in the forms of webinars, maybe Facebook Lives or online challenges. Right. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I scroll through my Facebook feed and I just see event after event after event after event because it's such a cost-effective way to grow your list, to sell your services, to gain that know, like, and trust factor and a way to stay top of mind among your audience and to further build that audience. So I really put a lot of my focus in how do you make these events different? How can we encourage people to be a part of these events where they are not bored, where they are not multitasking and where they actually are able to gain tangible insight that they can then actually implement into their life. So making them very interactive and really creating that space that is conducive for inspiration and change. Hmm. And just for my personal understanding, you started this business in the late 2019, right? A little bit earlier, but yeah, yes, it was, it was middle of the year last year. Okay. But tell me, because you were in an early business stage, was it easier for you to evolve faster than a traditional event business, which was probably not focusing on virtual events? or this business life cycle has nothing to do with it? You know, I never really thought about that. And mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a great point. You know, I think that there's pros and cons to that. I think that because I was early on in my business and because 
you know, it was just me as a solopreneur, I was able to act reactively. I was able to make a decision. This is what I'm going to do and go forth and do it without the need to make sure that everybody was on board and train everybody and make sure that everybody on the team was doing things the same way. Right. So I think in that aspect, it was a lot easier to do it quicker. However, without having those additional resources, you know, I had to reinvent my marketing. I had to, you know, change out my entire content plan, things that I had worked on in advance and had social media posts and mm -hmm. webcasts and, and podcasts and blogs and all the content that I had already produced. That was no longer relevant content. Right. So at the same time, while I was able to just make a decision and move forward, there was a lot of back work that had already been done. So I was in a place where I was just spending countless hours because I was having to work both in my business and on my business at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can appreciate for a planner, that is not the space that we like to work in. You know, I am a very organized, meticulous proactive person who makes intentional decisions. So to be in the space where I didn't have time to put a plan in place, mm. I just had to act and figure it out as I went along or make it work as I went along. So in that case, it definitely made things a little bit more difficult. Mm. And in this process of evolving, like you mentioned how Facebook events and YouTube events came into the picture, the sheer fact that Instagram Live saw a 400% surge says a lot on how people had to maximize and use digital events to organize conversations, right? But Wendy, tell me, how different is it from a logistic point of view for events, right? What's the planning process like? How different is it for planning the logistics compared to an offline event to an online event? I would say from a planning perspective, you know, any successful event, or not even just events, in general, I always say that success begins with strategy. You have to have a strategy in place. You have to know, for in the event space, who is your target? What problems do they have? What challenges are they experiencing? How is your event going to help them to overcome those challenges or be more successful or whatever you know, the purpose of your event is? And how are you going to convey that to them? So. Once you have all of that, you know, a lot of the logistics, whether your marketing plan, that's going to be, you know, very similar in the way that you do that. So 80% of an event is the same when it comes to the planning process, the strategy, the promotion, getting your speakers, getting your sponsors, all of those things are the same. The 20% that's really different is what comes down to the technology hmm. and the touch. You know, we, we talked, talked about touch briefly earlier, just about creating those experiences and connections and two-sided engagement, but then there's that technology piece. And, you know, everybody was very quick to adopt Zoom, which is fantastic and allows us so many capabilities, but there's also a lot of other technologies out there that leverage Zoom that go into enhancing that experience, you know, having rather than just logging into a Zoom room like we have been doing for the last couple of months for countless meeting after meeting after meeting, how can you create it living within a website? How can you create it so that attendees have other ways to connect with each other outside of breakout sessions and chats? How can you add a fun level of gaming or competition, visiting sponsor booths, engaging with speakers? How, you know, how can you create these other experiences so that it really does become an interactive 360 degree experience. And so I think the technology 
the facilitation and the engagement are really the main pieces that are completely outside of the realm of traditional events. Hmm. And extending the conversation of engagement, what are some of the engagement ideas one can consider while planning an online event? If you could add a relevant case, then it's definitely a value for the listeners and the planners. Absolutely. So what I have been doing with my clients that has been absolutely phenomenal, and we've seen a great response, is we start with our engagement long before the event begins. So with every client, whether depending on where their target audience is, we are either creating a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group. And as soon as somebody registers in that you know, registration confirmation email that they get, there's a link to join the private group. And that group are just other people that have registered. So it becomes an exclusive community of like-minded people that all have the same interest in what the, the event is going to be about. And so we're constantly posting in there and creating engagement. We're asking people to hop on, do a quick video, share a photo, introduce yourself. Why did you decide to register for this event? What's your intention? What do you hope to get out of it? At the same time, we have speakers and sponsors popping in and doing quick little pop-up, not trainings, but little teasers and getting people excited, things like that. So long before the event even begins, they're already starting to meet other people that are going to be at that event. So what that does is once you get to the event, well, let me back up. Also, another thing leading into the event that we do is we do a, all of my clients, we host a know before you go webinar or a know before you go email, or maybe it's a, you know, login live on Facebook, doing a Facebook or LinkedIn video, and just letting the attendees know what to expect, how to show up. This is how the event's going to be different from other events that you've been to. You know, this is going to be the flow. Make sure that you have plenty of water and snacks and bring your caffeine. And, you know, we're going to give you breaks throughout the day, but this is how you're going to get the most out of it. This is what we hope you do. And level setting those expectations, people just, it seems that they are just coming into the event with a different attitude. Whereas I think like a lot of the other events, specifically ones that I've been attending, when that doesn't happen, I look at it on my calendar as just another Zoom meeting. It's not anything different. It doesn't feel like an event. And what I've found is that with the clients that take that path of the pre-event engagement community, try building, whatever you want to call it, we see more videos turned on during the live video. When we ask people to share or raise their hand, participate in an activity, we see more engagement and adoption there as well because they've already developed a layer of comfortability with a lot of the other attendees. So that's, that's one thing that has, has made a huge difference for my clients is really focusing on the pre-event in addition to the event. And what that's allowed them to do, what we're seeing now after the past couple of months for my clients that did this in May, June, the really early adopters, they now have an active community of people that are sharing ideas that are celebrating their successes, the things that they may have committed to doing during that event, they're going in these private communities now and they're sharing them. And so they're getting the support, they're getting the level of accountability. And a lot of times, you know, I did my own event teaching other people how to host their own virtual events. Mm -hmm. And in my community, I'm seeing people come in and say, yeah, I'm about to plan an event on this. Does anybody know any speakers that might be a good fit for this? And the community is helping 
to drive people they should reach out to and facilitating those connections and those conversations. So it's almost putting resources right in their lap. And you almost have an extension of your team. Hmm. So that, is, that has been a huge opportunity that you don't typically otherwise have in the in-person space. You know, you could still do a Facebook group in the in-person space leading into it, but the chances of you bumping into that person at the coffee, you know, at the coffee stand during the 15 minute break is a lot less likely than you being able to locate them in a chat box or in a, in a breakout and actually have those conversations, immediately connect with them on your social media and keep those connections going. Interesting. And focusing now on you, you do a lot of coaching for businesses and entrepreneurs as well. How did the idea of coaching entrepreneurs and the process of creating digital products for them happen to you? That is 100% a result of COVID. I found, you know, initially my business was very much, people were looking to host an event anywhere from 50 to, you know, 700, 1,000 people. And they were looking for a true traditional event planner, someone to help them with the strategy, the tactics, the execution, and the project management. Well, when COVID hit, there was a lot of money scarcity. People were afraid to spend money. And with the uncertainty and unfamiliarity of the virtual space, a lot of people, they weren't in a position where they were comfortable saying, yep, I'm going to hire a full turnkey planner to do all of this for me. But people had the motivation and drive knowing they had to do something to keep their business alive. They had to get in front of people. Virtual events was a great way to do it. So in a lot of my conversations, I always offer a free 30-minute strategy call. I love talking about events. I love hearing people's ideas brainstorming back and forth, giving them some ideas. Mm -hmm. And from there, it really just turned into my client saying, can we just block out four hours? I really want to spend an hour just really focusing on what am I going to do to get sponsors? Tell me what I need to do and I'll go out and do it. Whereas before that might've been something that I would do on their behalf. Right. So I ended up creating a entire virtual event toolkit which is basically a shortcut for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and even people of larger organizations that might've had to take on that role, but that's not their traditional role, that walks you through step-by-step -step every single thing you need to do. It's broken out into the goal setting, naming, identifying your target audience, into securing speakers, sponsors, marketing, promotions. All of the email copy is already written. Social media posts, there's an entire swipe file how to pitch your sponsors, their sponsorship pitches, how to develop your pricing strategy. That's all already outlined with examples that can literally be copied and pasted. Mm -hmm. So it created a shortcut for people that knew they had to take action, but you don't know what you don't know. So it, and it was a result of a lot of the people that purchased that shortcut or purchased the toolkit. They worked through that, but then they wanted the validation. They wanted the confidence that they were on the right track, that they were doing that in a way that was going to serve them and give them the results that they had set their goals for. So that's really where the coaching came up. And so I did a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching, really helping people specifically as they had already gone through the process, really honing in, making tweaks, modifications, giving ideas, suggestions. You know, that was a great source of revenue for me in the interim, which was something that I had never intended on. Mm -hmm. And as I saw the need for that, I realized, and as any coach, realizes you can make a much bigger impact in the group coaching space because you can 
obviously your message is getting heard by multiple people at the same time versus just an hour call one-on-one. Hour calls great one-on-one because we can really specifically dive into your event on a personalized level. But then I develop, it's called the virtual event experts membership program. And that's where we do weekly trainings. We have guest speakers, additional workbooks, handouts, hot seats, Q and a sessions. And that's where I now have built a community of speakers, of entrepreneurs, of fellow event planners, other people that are just hosting events. You know, a lot of speakers now, rather than speaking on other people's stages, they're starting to create their own stages. They're hosting their own event. And that is where I feel like my experience in the industry, my strategy first approach has really made a huge difference because so many more people have been able to actually take this information and execute on it versus a lot of programs where it's just information overload and you leave with analysis paralysis, not even knowing where to get started. You know, as a planner, I clearly built this as a step-by-step process that you can follow. You strike through this, you move on to the next thing you strike. So there's never any question of where do I go? What do I, what, what's next? Very interesting. You know, in fact, your conversations reflect how self-driven and motivated you are to achieve newer possibilities. And now just getting a little more candid with you, while you did mention the toolkits and the membership plans, Wendy, honestly, how profitable are virtual events? And if they are, tell me a few tips on how to make them profitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a great question that I get asked a lot. And virtual events can be extremely, extremely lucrative. And they are much more cost effective than an in-person event. You obviously aren't renting a hotel or a ballroom. You're not responsible for hotel attrition. You're not serving food and beverage. So there's a lot less overhead that goes into a virtual event mm-hmm. with social media promoting it very, very easy. At the, when COVID first hit, Facebook ads were just insanely inexpensive. What it really comes down to to be profitable in these events is one, having a intentional pricing strategy. There are so many virtual events that are free and that is, that is fantastic. I think it's great that we have so much information readily available at our fingertips. However, there's the misconception that because it's online, it should be free. The message that is being portrayed, the education that is getting delivered is still value. No event host would ever say, Hey, here's my event at this hotel. Come spend three days with me for free. We're going to feed you. You're going to see these amazing speakers. You're going to get workbooks. It would never happen. So one is just identifying the value that you bring to the table and not being afraid to ask for ticket sales. And part of those ticket sales is really having an intentional strategy behind it. So I'm sure you have seen a lot of these virtual events have different options. There might be a free option where you can just watch the content streamed online, Mm -hmm. but then there's upgraded options where you get to be part of exclusive mastermind lunches, or perhaps you get time with a speaker, or you get a lot of extra downloads, a care package, access to an even more exclusive community. Mm -hmm. And the more value that you can deliver and make that upgrade a no-brainer. I mean, something's very common is you get all the access to all of the video recordings, which for a virtual event is really powerful because you're consuming so much information and you're taking notes and that's great. 
but you can't execute on every single thing at one time. So having access to go back once you're ready to implement that portion, having the availability to go back and listen to that recording is priceless, you know? So really building out your ticketing strategy so that there is something that is for everyone. That's, that's one strategy. Obviously, sponsorships, generating sponsorship revenue is another strategy for profitable events. Mm-hmm. And especially online, these sponsors have a great return on investment because they are getting in front of so many more people. But again, there's a strategy that goes into how to identify who those sponsors are, what are the right sponsors, how do you convey that value to them. And again, I help my clients with custom sponsorship packages. It's great to have the bronze, silver, gold packages, you know, that you see around. And and that's fantastic. And it's definitely a great place to start, but also really taking the time on the, on the front end to identify what are your sponsors key objectives? What are their marketing goals for the year? And how, what do you offer that can help them achieve that? So as an example, for a sponsor who is just looking to get their name out there for brand recognition, you might throw in something like a technology sponsor where at the bottom of every slide, it says technology provided by and the sponsor's logo. So that's getting them top of mind, front of center versus just having a logo at the bottom of an email on every single thing that goes out combined with a bunch of other sponsor logos. So really thinking outside of the box from a sponsorship revenue. And then the other piece I would say is an enrollment event, which you have to be really careful because nobody wants to be pitched to. And a lot of these events, you see speaker after speaker after speaker saying, buy my programs, Hmm. purchase my book, join my membership. And that's all you hear the entire time. But if you act now, if you buy it while you're as a member of this event, we're going to give you this special offer. And that's great. However, it's in the delivery of it. Being intentional of how that's being delivered, how that's being portrayed to your audience. What I typically suggest to my clients is your speakers and sponsors, maybe they can, you know, they can be selling, but not directly in their presentations. Make their presentations educational and valuable. And then maybe you send a follow-up email with, we're so excited you attended. Here's a bunch of different offers, exclusive only to event attendees, but they're not being pitched to. As the event host, in your agreement with your speaker, you ask for an affiliate commission of their sales. So that's one way that you can, you know, generate revenue for yourself. And then Typically, there should be in your event some sort of enrollment where people can continue to work with you. So if you're a coach, you are letting them know, if you got value out of this, I would love to work with you one-on-one. I would love for you to join our membership program, join our Facebook group. And that all comes into how you build out your profit pyramid. Because as long as you have something for everyone, you can't just go into an event and say, here's our high ticket offer. It's a $15,000 nine-month commitment let's go. You let them know that's an option, but there are other options available. So the more options that you give that are all comprehensive, it's really like you have this massive package and then everything decreases as the price decreases. You're creating something for everyone and you're increasing the opportunity to generate that revenue. Mm -hmm. And one other real big differentiator between in-person and virtual is that in-person, when that offer is made, 
It's all right, stand up, go to the back of the room, get your credit card, go swipe it, sign up now, which is fine. But sometimes there can be an intimidating level to that. People don't want to get up from their table. They don't want to go stand in line. Well, with virtual, you pop a link up, people click half the time their credit card is already stored. They process it online and it's done. So we're seeing very high conversions in sales during the actual event because of how easy it is for the attendee. Makes sense. Right. Wendy, while these conversations are very insightful, say for a business owner, what about partners and employees? Say college students who made their part-time earnings from volunteering or uh, the sound production companies or even the MCs. How does virtual events look for them? And how do they need to evolve themselves to be a part of this conversation? That's a really interesting question. And, and I think that for them, there is opportunity. It's a little bit more challenging to find. However, with the appropriate outreach, there is still so many roles that need to be filled. Mm-hmm. Maybe possibly even more. When you think about the virtual space, you want to make sure that there is always somebody who can answer a question. Emails are going to be flying. I can't get in. I don't remember my password. Where's the link? Regardless of how many emails you've sent, how many times you've posted it, there's going to be that need for customer support. Mm -hmm. And in the virtual space, you know, if you were at an in-person event, there might be a help desk. People are used to standing in line. They're going to stand in line for that help desk where you might only need one or two volunteers, depending on the size of your event. Virtual, we as humans have become accustomed to getting instantly what we want, when we need it, how we need it. So having a team of volunteers that are able to answer the chats within whatever platform you're using, to engage on social media during the actual event, to monitor the email box or the inbox of things that are flowing, that's definitely a huge overlooked area that people are not thinking about is staffing appropriately for the virtual event day of. You know, I have leveraged a lot of volunteers and and college students specifically who are, they're they're working on their marketing degree and they want to volunteer their time to help with the social media. You know, I, I keep talking about engagement and community and that is so important, but that starts with the event itself. If the event isn't posting or even if the event is posting, but they're not going on and engaging back with the other members that are posting it's going to fall flat. So making sure that you have people like that, that are able to help fill those gaps and keep yourself top of mind, keep that engagement going where people feel like they're having a real conversation versus just register now, buy the upgraded ticket, check out our sponsors, you know, creating that intentional engaging conversation. And same thing with people to build website pages, people to manage the backend technology. You know, when you're in the virtual event itself, if you're doing breakout rooms, if you're allocating different groups, even down to spotlighting the speaker and things like that. There's a lot of opportunities for for volunteer and even, you know, paid opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of reaching out to the right people, knowing what you bring to the table, what skills you have and how you can add value. Because that I can tell you right now, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and, you know, they offered to, I had somebody reach out and say, hey, I'm an event MC, I'm used to being a DJ at in-person events. Do you have a client that is looking for an MC? I'd I'd love to do it for free. That MC, you know, I I explored, I obviously did my research before saying yes, he did it for free. And I've since hired him for three more of my clients. So he offered to do it to prove his value because it was unknown in the space. 
proved that value, got tremendous response, tremendous testimonials. And now I've been able to pass three other clients to him that are now paying him to MC their events. That's nice. Great stuff. I'm quickly now moving off to our next segment, which is a rapid fire down. And this needs to be really quick and active. So are you ready for this? I think so. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. How does events look post COVID-19? The social distancing part, the fear, the safety, what are the approaches going to be like? They're going to be different. There's going to be a lot more protocols, a lot more safety things that are put in place. And people crave the interaction. They crave the connection. I think we're going to slowly start to see events coming back into the world. They're going to start with smaller. You might not see these huge thousand people events, but small events, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people. And I think it's really going to, to blow up because people are so craving that energy and that connection. Okay. Three reasons why companies should embrace virtual events apart from the reason that they can't host offline events. Number one, they have to stay top of mind. It is an incredible way to stay top of mind. Number two, they can reach so many more people and make a bigger impact. And number three, because it is really helping to think through strategy, make intentional decisions. And when the space of in-person events comes back, they will already have the foundation created. So all they have to do is make a couple of little pivots, find a venue, and there's different work that'll come into play. But for people that have never hosted an in-person event, virtual is the perfect low-cost, low-risk stepping stone to then expanding into in-person events. Fair enough. Three most common myths about virtual events. Myths about virtual events. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, most common myths. One, I can't make money. Two, everybody's doing it, so why should I do it? And three, you have to have the perfect video setup, audio setup, technology setup for it to be impactful. And are you hiring and how do people work with you? <laughs> so I am in the process of growing my team. You know, as in-person events come back, there's definitely going to be a need for people to help manage both in-person and virtual. That is definitely something I am not in the space to do all alone as a solopreneur. And I am also taking on additional coaching clients, full service clients, and just helping with strategy and filling the gap. Somebody who might already be planning a virtual event and they're like, you know what? I just do not have that sponsorship strategy dialed in. I know I'm leaving money on the table. How can I approach that? So the best way to reach me is it's Be Bright Events. And that's the B-E, Bright Events, on any of the social media channels. Um, on my website, it is BeBrightEventsCO.com. I have a bunch of free resources people can download to get their ideas started. There's a link on there to book a 30-minute, a free 30-minute strategy session with me to talk about you're thinking about it, you're in the middle of doing it, you might have done one, it wasn't as successful as you wanted, whatever it may be. Be Bright Events is definitely the way to find me on any of the social media channels. And finally, what's in store for Be Bright Events in the next quarter of the year? The next quarter of the year, Be Bright Events is launching. We have a, a five-day challenge for speakers. Mm -hmm. I have another virtual event coming up that I am hosting called Epic Online Experiences, and that is teaching people exactly the things that I just spoke with you about. 
and just in the process of really serving as many people in the virtual event space as possible. Well done, Wendy. Prompt and swift to adapt to different rounds like you have been doing best. Friend us on your socials and let's connect. And now I'm going to move into our last round of question. And this question is taken from a thread. And most of the time, the question is either based on education or career, so that it kind of adds value to the future generation. So the question states, I want to get into the event business once I pass out from my college. Though the industry is going through a massive transformation, what are the tools, equipments, learnings and the courses that I should pursue to get myself ready for a future career in this industry? Oh, well, that's a great question. And of course, my first response is going to say you should join my membership group because (laughs) there's tons of coaching about the skills, the best practices, technology guides, all of that. I mean, that is a great, you know, at, at $37 a month, that is a great way to learn. And also there is the community and the other event planners. There's a lot of event planners that are part of the community. We view each other as, you know, collaboration and not competition. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of business being passed between us. You know, I have this virtual event, but I have another client on this date. Are you able to step in and do the technology or are you able to project manage? So that would be the first thing. There's a lot of organizations and accreditations where you can get certified in this, that, and the other. There is tremendous value in those things, but from a right out of college, want to get going, I would look at that more once you've hit a plateau and you want to really level up your game. For now, it's about learning how, you know, learning the ins and outs of the business, learning the different segments, and really identifying what it is that lights you up about events. There's so many different parts of events. For me, writing email copy, not my favorite part of the event, but I'm aware of that. So I know where my skills lie. I know where my, you know, where my strengths, where my weaknesses are, and I know where to bring on other people. And that also helps you to really carve out a niche for yourself in the market. You know, event planner is a very broad term. You know, are you an event strategist? Are you an event planner? Are you an event project manager? Are you a event coach? You know, really finding where you fall, what you like to do the best, and getting clear on who, whose events do you want to be planning? What type of events do you want to be planning? Because to say you're an event planner and say, well, I plan weddings, I plan kids' birthday parties, and I plan corporate summits. Well, although the project management skills and all of the things may be the same, it's going to be really difficult to become an expert at any one of those things when you're spreading your time equally between the three. Wonderful. Thank you, Wendy. Your confidence and motivation, I got to say, is very inspiring. And I'm glad to host you on the Deliberate Talks podcast. I hope you had a good time too. I did. This was great. I love the rapid fire. You made me think quick. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much and best wishes for your venture. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, that's the end of today's conversation. Hope this has contributed in prepping you up for the future. And if you have any feedback, please write to the deliberate talks at gmail.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, or even the social media channels of the deliberate talks and the pixelated egg digital ventures. Join in next week for yet another episode. Until then, inspire and be inspired.